You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, my, my wife and I, about a month or so ago, we bought silicone rings. Like, have you seen the little, you know, the little wedding band substitutes things there? It's an amazing thing. I didn't know that gold shrinks. After about 15 or 20 years wearing it on your finger, it actually gets smaller. You, did you know that? You know, it just... Uh, I so we finally like these don't fit anymore and uh, rather than get them resized we thought we would jump on the cool bandwagon and for $12.99 I got seven of these things I could like I've got one with every color this morning because it's hunting season I'm rocking camo I'm convinced it's going to help me a lot but uh, you know the 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 gold one I'm really not too partial to is it looks like a cheap like a bubblegum machine like you know okay really you paid a quarter for that right it's kind of like orange but there's a a bronze colored one that if you don't look at it closely, it looks just like a piece of metal. And honestly, for me, it's just kind of nice. I don't have to worry about it scratching, getting, you know, if I'm digging or whatever, getting caught. And so uh, anyway, you know, our, our faith we, that we are supposed to live out is supposed to be a genuine faith, not a fake faith you know, look-alike, not one that kind of has the form, if you will, but not the reality. And what, what happens when we really surrender our life to the Lord Jesus and, and His grace permeates every fiber, every part of our soul and our being, there's a, a life change that begins to shape and begins to happen. There's a, a change that happens fundamentally. Might we would say, if we were talking about biology, we would say at the cellular level, there is a, a chemistry kind of shift that God begins to, to make us, remake us in His image that's absolutely amazing. And out of that, as a natural result, our lifestyle, the things that we value, the way we live, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we view the world really begins to alter tremendously. It happens, it begins to happen at that moment of salvation when we really surrender our life to Jesus as Lord, when we we move from just maybe being religious or kind of a believing in God to all the way to just saying, wait a minute, I need to go all in, that I'm just kind of playing games here, and I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. But when that happens, we immediately we have a relationship personally with the God of heaven, but more throughout our life, it begins to unfold. It begins to, begins to change us foundationally and fundamentally. Paul, as we're walking through the book of Corinthians, he is writing to people that are struggling to live that Christian lifestyle. They have grace. They have salvation. We would say they are saved. They have a relationship with God in heaven, but they don't have a clue what that's supposed to look like in their life day in and day out. They they don't get it. And so Paul is trying to help them with some basic things. Now, this morning, we're not going to take time to look at at most of chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11. He deals with some stuff that, that are important for us to know, but things that aren't exactly what we deal with here. And I'll, ta- I'll hit those in a minute when he's talking about head coverings and eating food that's been offered up to idols. Um, but what I really, in the middle of that, is what I want to focus on, three principles that he gives us that regardless where you are in whichever culture of the world, if you're sitting in Zimbabwe, if you're in Afghanistan, if you are in 
Turkey, if you are in Canada, if you are in Ecuador or the, right here in Gilderland or the capital region, these three principles, if you will follow them, will play out in your life in a way that you can live a life that honors God in a way that pleases Him. So before we open God's Word, I want to open us with prayer. Can you do that? Let's pray with me. Father, we are grateful to gather together this morning to worship and honor You. Lord, it is a privilege to, to truly worship You, to open Your Word, to open our hearts and ask for You to speak through Your eternal words into our soul, into our very being. And Father, I pray that you would do that just for the next few minutes before we continue to sing and praise you. Lord, would you speak truth into our souls? What we need this morning more than anything is for you to change our life, for your words to become real and active and alive in us. And so, Father, we take a minute. I pray that the things that are stirring in our hearts, maybe the things that we've worried about, Lord, would you give us grace to just put those things on hold for a minute? And would you meet us in the middle of those, I pray? Would you meet us here today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, and look at 1 Corinthians 10. And I'm just going to read uh, just a, a shoot, uh, two or three verses here, uh, starting in verse 31. Paul, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, Here's his bottom line. He's been talking about idols and eating food that have been offered as an, an offering to idols. And he says, here's the bottom line, guys. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's principle number one. Principle number two, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, anybody, or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that, and here's why, that they may be saved. That's principle number two. And then chapter 11, verse 20 says, here's a third principle, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Guys, these are three principles that we need to get into our mind, get into our heart, stick in our pocket, put in our wallet, put into our phone, principles that if we will allow these to govern and rule our life, that we can live a life that is continually experiencing the grace of God deeper and more, reflecting His truth, reflecting His gospel, reflecting His life change, if these three things become real in us. So let's begin to unpack these. First thing Paul says is, guys, whatever you do, whether you're eating and even just drinking, do everything to the glory of God. You know, eating is something that we do every day, right? We don't think a whole lot about it unless you're hungry and you don't happen to have food nearby, and then you're like, I got to get something to eat. Paul says, guys, not only do we need to honor God in the big stuff, not only do we need to honor God when we're making the big decisions and the big life decisions, or maybe even on a Sunday kind of thing, he says, look, even in the small stuff, when you're just sitting around deciding whether or not to eat lunch and what you're going to do, you first and foremost in your mind and your heart should have the desire and the focus to live in a way that glorifies and honors God. Why is Paul making such a big deal here? Well, the Corinthian church kind of didn't get it. 
They had people that, that had trusted Christ. They had been brought up, and in their culture, they were brought up living and, and worshiping idols, that they felt like that there were these basic spiritual deities that were responsible for their good and their health and their wealth and their well-being and all of that. And it was normal to sacrifice, make sacrifices to them. I don't know if you've been into various restaurants sometimes. You may see if you walk in, there may be a little Buddha statue there on the door on the way in, and you may see a little tray, a bowl of fruit and of flowers. Those are offerings offered in worship to the Buddha. It's a common thing that we will even see in our culture today. A little foreign for most of us, probably. Uh, you know, we haven't been invited to too many Friday night suppers at the local temple that, you know, to the, the local barbecue where the food has already been offered and, and a worship to God. It's not a normal thing for us, but it was a common thing for them. And Paul said, look, here's the deal. We know that none of that stuff is real. So don't be going around and, you know, going to the grocery store, Hannaford, or wherever you go, Market 32, or Price Chopper, or whatever your place is. Don't go and, like, ask and go crazy, like, hey, has this been offered idols? Has this been offered idols? Has this been offered idols? Don't worry about it. Eat, be happy, because there's nothing there that's significant. However, if you're going to dinner at somebody's house and they say, hey, by the way, this food's been offered to idols, yeah, you probably ought to back away. Or if you're out somewhere and somebody's, you know, says, hey, that you don't you want to kind of steer clear of that. If the subject comes up, then you back away for the sake of that other person's conscience. So Paul is telling us in a very clear way that no matter what we do, we ought to make sure that our actions, our attitudes, and our behavior are worthy of the God in heaven. And everything always 100% all the time. When you go to work, does your work bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? Are you working in a way that is worthy of Him? When you come home at night, are the, your conversations at home and around the table and one-on-one -on -one with each other, are they worthy of the Lord Jesus, Paul is saying? When you're going out and you're going to play or going out to eat or doing your thing, are your actions and attitudes always worthy of the Lord Jesus? Paul says that we have a responsibility to honor God. So we don't have too many of those temples and those idols around us, but we have some similar things that are creeping increasingly into our culture. How many of you have heard of the, the, a thing called mindfulness? Have you heard of mindfulness? Okay, many of you guys have. Um, I don't know if you know the roots to this or not, but it's, it's actually, it's an Eastern meditation. It's a religious principle that's been kind of repackaged into a, a, a secular kind of mindset. In fact, you could look up, uh, New York Times did a, a long article just three or four years ago that said, you know, really mindfulness, the heart of it is just to get you to the first step of enlightenment. Uh, enlightenment ultimately is to realize that you really are pure and good, and that's the whole journey that Buddha finally did. He just finally, you know, meditated so much and emptied his mind and brain and his thinking so much that he just achieved enlightenment. He just became so detached from the world, he kind of melded with his cosmic goodness. I cite the New York Times article to say, this is not Christian conspiracy theories. This is not, you know, some weird picture. Like, you know, secular writers will recognize that this is legitimately the first step in, in that whole process. 
I remember a, f a friend of mine, it was actually my boss when I worked in Bennington, I worked in the assessor's office, and uh, the assessor at the time was a really nice guy, we you know, went out to lunch, that kind of thing, and I was uh, a, a young man then, and he treated me well. And, uh, but it was very, we would say today, new age. So just very into just kind of all of the, everything that was going on. And he told me about his friend who hiked a mountain. This was in Vermont. So Vermonters are a little weird by nature. Anybody here from Vermont? Okay, little bit, little bit weird. Yeah, you own it well, so that's good. That's good. And, uh, and he talked about his friend going up and hiking on this mountain who wanted to meditate. And I don't mean just sitting there thinking about stuff, but I mean the whole getting the lotus position, you know, and empty your mind out. And he wanted to open himself up to just whatever is out there cosmically. And well, his friend did. And when he came back off that mountain, he told my boss, he said, I don't know what that was, but it was sure dark and evil. And I thought to myself, I know exactly what that was. That was a demonic presence in his world. And by the way, it just seems crazy to me that logical, smart people, science people, and business people are following these principles. This is the same principle as mindfulness, same exact thing. You sit down and you meditate and you empty yourself of all the stuff that's going on. And what's crazy to me is that in the world around us, right, you know that there's good and there's evil, right? Everybody knows that. And everybody you meet, you don't know which side they necessarily fall on. You know that there's good and bad in the world around us. I mean, you grow up teaching your kids, hey, be careful with strangers because, you know, you might not be able to trust them. Why in the world would we want to open ourselves up to something that is completely spiritual and cosmic, assuming that it's going to be good? I mean, that's just dumb. The world around us tells there's good and evil, and if there's good and evil in the physical world, there's going to be good and evil in the spiritual realm as well. So here's my whole point of this. Guys, we may not have temples that we're tempted to go and be worshiping idols by eating meat, but today, increasingly in a stressed out, anxiety, panic-induced, depressed, psychological world, there are solutions being offered to that that fundamentally do not honor God. In fact, are the exact opposite. They're opening ourselves up to forces that we know not of, and they're not good forces, they're evil forces. And the same principle would apply. Paul would say, stay away from that stuff. We're not going to read the passage, but just in the verses in front of it, Paul says, you know, in verse 20 and 22, he's like, look, there's really, we know that idols really aren't anything. There's only one true God in heaven. It's not like the Roman world that viewed, you know, all the Greek and Roman gods and God of love and war and all of this. No, there's one true God. But Paul does say, but by the way, behind every idol lies a demon. And we won't go deep and far down in that down that road, but demons ultimately want to be worshipped. They want to take glory from God. And whenever you get involved in religious practices, pursuing these things, you are beginning to play and to flirt with things that you know not of. And by the way, meditation, if you're needing to deal with anxiety and stress and worries and all of that, again, this is just the dumbest thing that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, how do you just gain ground by having to sit down and do nothing and blank your mind out to get some rest and then, okay, let's get up and let's go do it all over again. I mean, that's like binging and curbing, right? God's grace, the gospel that God gives us, the truth that God gives us is God doesn't give us peace and joy 
by removing us out of the problem, by us playing psychological mental games and just removing and catching a break and then send us right into it, God doesn't do that. God sent His Son to join us in the middle of the mess, to join us in the stresses and the pressures and the crazy of life and says, my son is going to be the one that saves you. My son is the one that's going to bring healing into your soul. My son is the one. If you look to me, you will find hope to me in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the struggle. You don't need to go through some sort of act or religious ritual to somehow escape and do a, a mental mind jump. No. In fact, we're told regularly as Christians to be alert, be aware, be sober-minded, to be sharpened in our thinking and to allow our minds to be set upon Christ, to be set upon God. Anything other than that is dishonoring God. So guys, bottom line, I want to challenge you, and I only say all of that as an example of we do live in the world, and idols are all around us. By the way, we're a little too sophisticated for this. Our idols are invisible in our culture. You know, we don't drive around and see a whole lot. I mean, there's a few things. If you drive through Schenectady, you'll see some of the Hindu flags amongst some, one of the people groups. You ever seen, seen like the clusters of six or seven flags, like red and pink and white? That comes out of a, a Hindu belief. They're flags to get the attentions of the spirits, to bring good things into their, into their world. Well, that's, you're just opening yourself and playing with demons, is what Paul tells us. So while we don't see as much of that as we might think, it is out there. We're too sophisticated. Our idols are invisible. They're money, they're pleasure, they're, you know, all kinds of stuff, success. And behind all of that is ultimately the enemy trying to pull our hearts away from God. So you and I should settle the principle. However and whatever we should do in our life, whether it's eating food or not, whether it's how we meditate, and for us, it's meditating on Scripture, it's thinking about God's Word, chewing on it, letting that cleanse and refresh our soul and change us in the middle of the crazy, we should make sure that we're honoring God. And we should ask the question, is what I'm doing, does it bring honor to Jesus or not? It's a yes or no kind of thing. Second thing, not only did Paul say, hey, here's the bottom line, He dealt with the specifics, and he said, here's the principles that give rise to the specifics. The second general principle that he says is, is bless everyone. In verse 32, he says this, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks. That's everybody, by the way, in the world. It's either a Jew or or to them was a Greek. If you weren't a Jew, then you were a Gentile like a, a Greek. Or to the church of God, even the people of God. He says, don't give an offense. That's kind of level one, step one, if you will. And then he says in verse 33, he's like, look at look what I do. I try to please everyone in everything I do. So he starts by saying, I want an absence of negative. I don't want to harm anyone. But I go farther than that. I want to bless other people. I want to please. I try to please everyone, not in some things, in verse 33, but in everything I do. And this is crazy, not seeking my own advantage, but seeking the advantage of many, ultimately, that they may be saved. You and I should live in a way, bottom line principle, that blesses people around us. Paul is saying, hey, don't be eating meat to idols, because you're going to be either giving credence to idols, to that person who is an idol worshiper, thinking that, oh, your religion is your spiritual faith is just fake and phony, you're a hypocrite, 
So don't eat meat offered to those idols because you're not going to give them an encouraging word to, of God. And for the new Christian in the church, don't be eating and worshiping in the temples because you're going to be dragging them down in, in your faith. So bless even those people. So you and I, as we live our life, not only should we vertically be honoring and worshiping God in everything that we do, in the most simple things, but everything that we should do should horizontally be blessing people around us. And he kind of gives us a model here. Level one, the very least, which should be is don't bring harm to other people. Don't, there should be an, an absence of, of doing damage, if you will, relationally. This may be a little silly to you, but I'm really conscious of it. Whenever we have our life groups in our various neighborhoods around here, I make sure that I never park on the grass, the lawn of your neighbor, if you're hosting the life group. I don't know about you, but some people really are like hyper about their lawn. And, you know, and if that's you, that's great. You know, my place, I'm, I mean, well, you guys parked all over my lawn last weekend because I told you to, right? We live in the country. It's kind of the way we roll. But I can imagine if somebody is really fastidious about their lawn and their shrubs, the last thing they want is, here come those Christians again. Oh, my goodness. Here come though that church and my neighbor. Oh, the last thing I want to do is to cause harm to the testimony of Jesus and harm to your neighbors. So I don't care how far my car's got to stick in the middle of the road. I want to do everything I can to let traffic flow and stay off of that. That's what Paul is saying in the first one. He's saying, I don't want to do anything that offends people. He's not talking about offending them spiritually by what he says and telling them about Jesus. He wasn't so much worried about that. He's saying, I just want, I want my actions to be no harm, no foul. I don't want to do damage. Guys, everybody on the planet that you engage with should be like that. Whether you're getting on a plane and sitting in the seat next to somebody and dealing with luggage or walking down the street, your attitude and my attitude ought to be one of blessing and not harming. Not one of attitude, of frustration, or getting angry, or lashing out, being a jerk. But it should be in our soul The grace should change us in such a way that what comes out is blessing to people. So level one is no harm. Level two is going beyond that to a point where we actually begin to bless. So it's not good enough to just be an absence of bad. Paul says, I want to be filled with doing good and pleasing and blessing others around us. Again, these are small things. These are habits, which, by the way, most of life is made up with a million and one little decisions, right? How many really big decisions do we ever make in life? I mean, let's sit down and think about this. You know, do, do, do we get married or not? Where exactly do we live? Do we take that job or not? I mean, you're probably counting on both hands that level of decision. Then we're next down to do we buy that house or rent or do we buy a car? But how many cars are you really going to buy in your lifetime? I mean, we're talking a lifetime of maybe... 20 fairly sizable decisions. What are we going to do for our retirement? I mean, we're not talking a 1,000. We're not probably talking 50. We're probably talking 20, maybe 30. If you add up every car you buy, every house you live in, every, those kind of level decisions, you know what our life is mostly made up with? It's made up of millions of little tiny decisions. And that's what kind of Paul's telling us this morning, is reminding us, honor God in the little decisions and all your little decisions, make sure that you're blessing other people. 
So when uh, Sarah and I went last uh, Monday night to the vigil for the families that, um, that died in the, the, the horrific car crash, she knows some of those that were there and connected with her job. And so we went. And as we just happened to be walking, my guess, I don't, I'm guessing there were a couple of thousand people there on the bridge in Amsterdam. And as we were walking there, the two of us, she saw our co-workers walking ahead of her. And so we kind of, you know, sped up and caught up to them. Very simple, small thing for me, but as we, as she introduced me to her co-workers, I made sure there was a smile on my face, not phony, fake, oh, I'm just, you know, hey, how are you today? I'm just not happy. I mean, not, but a real in my heart, kind of a joy, oh, it's great to meet you, and that kind of thing. Why? Because I'm trying to strengthen the testimony of my daughters at work, and they probably know that I'm a pastor, and I want them to think that, oh, pastors actually are kind of nice and have a personality. It would have been easy for me to not been to be just disengaged, to not necessarily do harm, but I tried to actively engage and relate to them because we want to be a blessing to people. I met a guy yesterday in the pine bush. We were... Um, uh, I had my bow, and we were going out to go hunting that night, and there was a guy that kind of was walking. He's like, is it hunting season? Oh, my goodness, sneak out of the woods. I'm like, no, relax, it's safe. I said, an arrow only goes like 30 yards. And he's like, really? And we just chatted him up. Why? Because as he walked along with us, who knew but what we would come up? I'd have opportunity to talk about our church or whatever. I want to be a blessing to people. So, guys, whenever you're meeting with people, and as you go through life, Our attitudes, our heart, with all of the thousands of people that you interact with every day and every week, we should be a blessing to them in our interactions. But that still is even not enough. Paul has a third level, if you notice here. He says, I try to please them, not seeking my own advantage. Like, I'm willing to be taken disadvantage of, so I seek the advantage of others. He says... But I'm seeking the advantage of many that they may be saved. Paul says there's a third level here. I'm trying to actively work in such a way and live my life that other people will come to know Jesus. So it's not just enough to live and say, well, I'm not going to harm people. It's not just enough to say, I want to be nice to people. I want to bless them. I want to, you know, do good for them. But third, he says, I want to kind of, I want to live my life so that people will come to know Jesus. And I've split this up into two levels for us, but for the first one, it's, it's what I'm calling kind of level three is begin praying for people. God wants us to pray that people would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that, that we care, that we put a name and a face, that people need Christ around us. Guys, the world is hurting. If you, if you don't realize that, you're either not paying attention or you're really not involved in other people's lives much, which happens. We can sometimes just be so focused on our own stuff, but the world is looking for answers. The, the, the world does not make sense to people. They, they don't understand. They don't get it. Why am I going through this? Why do these accidents happen? Why? And they're struggling with all of this. And you and I know that we really do have the answers that make sense out of this crazy, messed up world and the universe and will actually give hope and give a future and give eternal life to people in the middle of it. And so you and I, at the very least, this doesn't cost you anything except some time, some heart energy. You don't even have to talk to people to pray for them, but just genuinely put a name and a face to them. And then the fourth level is ultimately along the way, 
If you pray for them, what's going to happen is God is, I believe, many times going to open doors for you to do something to engage them, to, to help them, whether it's people you know, know the name of, or you don't know, uh, maybe people that you're really close to, but to, to begin engaging them. So, um, and that can look like so many different things. I, I told the, there was a story that surfaced in our life group the last couple of weeks, one person in our group you know what, there's, they kind of combined level three and level four, which was so cool. They went to somebody they know that they know doesn't know Jesus, and they said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. But they did it in a way, not the, oh, I'm giving you nice thoughts. Again, that's cosmic goodness out there, which is not true, but I'm praying for you. And the person knows that, that this other person, our life group member, is a, is a Christian, is a follower of Jesus. And the person kind of looked at them and then came back around again. No, I, I really am praying for you. And then the person's like, why? What do you know? What do you know is going to happen or whatever? And the kind of person got a little wigged out, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm praying for her. They went, took the next step and said, you know, I know that you're struggling and your life's got some challenges. And I really am praying for you. And this was received well. Fast forward the next week, the person said, do you know what's going on in my life? There is so much that's a mess. They prayed for them and took that step of engagement. Wasn't that hard to do, but just put themselves out there a little bit. Guys, that can look like so many things. We've got little tools here. I brought up some, I feel a little bit like kindergarten show and tell, like here, you know, look at my little stuff. But, you know, you could, after you're praying for people, you could give them a little postcard or a little card that says, hey, let me invite you to our church. Inviting somebody is a simple way of engagement. You may give them something, say, you may read this. This is a little booklet about salvation, but it's written differently than ones in the past. The ones in the past kind of assume that people understand right from wrong and truth and all of that. This one actually starts in a different spot. This one says, we live in a broken world with broken lives, broken relationships, and broken systems. Starts where it starts in the middle of the mess. That's where people are, and it begins to make sense of the mess. You could easily, with somebody that you know is struggling or not, just say, you know, this book really has made sense to me of the world. It might actually make sense to you. Let me give that to you. Or if you're at a restaurant or something, and just hand it to people. I've got somewhere a little uh, little uh, business card that we have out back. We've got dozens, if not hundreds, of those little little cards you can stick in your pocket and just. Give to somebody and say, hey, just want to tell you about our church. You could do a million and one things to help people take that next step toward knowing Jesus, whether it's invite them to church, invite them to your house for coffee just to get to know them or going out or raking their lawn. We raked the lawn as a church, got behind uh, one family in our church two or three years ago. The person's wife was, had horrible cancer. It looked like she might not make it. It was this time of year. And you know how chores pile on you when it seems like everything hits, right? So we just went and raked their lawn. Why? To be a blessing to go and engage them. And there was no weirdness about it or anything. Here's my point. If you and I are intentional about level one, two, three, and four in our life and pay attention and alert, in baseball terms, we're going to start winning some games. Can I go to sports with this? Is that okay? Like go from eternal to sports? Yeah, let me do that. So level one is like getting a single. Level two is like a double. Level three is a triple. And you get to level four, it's a home run regardless of what happens because ultimately their salvation is between them and God and that's God's business. But if we start getting some hits like that, 
we will win games and there will be people in your life, in your orbit, in your sphere of influence that God has strategically put you to be a light into that realm at work and where you live in your neighborhood and your community and just your, your rhythm of life. And you will see some of those individuals actually come and surrender their life to Christ and experience the salvation and the grace of God wherever they go in life. That's all that God wants us to do, which, by the way, is why we're focusing. I haven't mentioned it much the last couple of weeks because we've had so many different things going on, but that's why in your chairs again is this little everyone win one. Some of you may have sat down on it. I don't know. Uh, maybe there, but pick, it, pick that up if you would. Just kind of hold it up so let me know you're at least listening this morning. And, and see this. So here's what I'm challenging us to do. Now I'm extending because we're making up the rules. I'm, I said October, but we're going to go through November because it's already middle of October and we're just barely talking about this. But I want to challenge you simple three steps. Three, two, one. Find three people that you can pray for regularly who you are pretty sure don't know Jesus. Two of those and you're asking God, God, if you give me grace, I want to help with two of these I want to take the next step. Help them take that next step to Jesus. It may be you introducing yourself to them. It may be you just saying, um, you know, having a meal with them, saying, hey, would you mind, could I just pray for this? And them not having any clue that you are a person of faith. It, it may be you giving them an invitation to church. It may be you sitting down and sharing with them the plan of salvation. But whatever that looks like that's natural in a process you're asking God to give you two opportunities. I believe God's big enough that if we were really praying for three people, that two of those, he'll do that. And the one is, is God, would you do something in at least one of these pe person's lives in the next year, or the next two years, whatever, that they would actually trust you? That's God's job. That's between God and them. We don't do that. We're, we're not responsible for that. But if we do those four things, God will change people's lives. So Paul said, guys, I live my life, live your lives in everything to honor you. Guys, live your life to bless everybody and in the way, along the way, that as many as possible would know Jesus. And here's the third principle, and I'll share with it quickly and I'm done. Third big principle of our life, he says in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, you guys want to know how to live the Christian life? You want to know what it looks like? We often need to know what it looks like, right? Whenever you get those directions, I put, to get, put on a glass storm door in my house recently, and I thank the Lord for pictures, right? Because I'd rather look at the picture, like, oh, I see where that part goes, than I would to sit down and read the five paragraphs underneath it and tell me what to do. It's a lot, pictures worth a thousand words. Paul said, look, you want to know a picture of what it looks like to be and live a Christian life? Just follow me. Look at my life. I'm following and imitating Jesus. And as I'm imitating Jesus, you imitate me. Look the way that I look. Paul didn't say, hey, look at my teaching and follow my teaching. He said, look and imitate me. So third principle is you imitate those Christians who are truly imitating Jesus. In other words, those whose lives have the genuine faith, the real deal where the gospel is sinking in their life and changing their life. For new Christians, those of you that have recently trusted Christ in the last you know, year or two or whatever, 
You need some of those other Christians in your life, your age as well as who are a little bit old, who are older than you, that you get you see what that looks like. Because you run into a million and one questions about, well, should I do this? Should I do that? How should I dress? How do I do this? What do I? All of that. And those people around you who really are following Christ become a model for you. By the way, you older Christians, by that I don't mean in age, but just you've walked with Jesus a long time, there's stuff in front of you that you're going through right now that you've never walked through either. You know, I've, I've surrendered my life to Christ, I think, when I was 13. That was 36, almost 37 years ago. That's a long time. I don't know what it's like to be a godly grandfather yet. I don't know what it's like to be a godly father-in-law yet. I don't know what it's like to be a godly retiree yet. I don't even know what it's like to be a godly 50-year-old yet. I got some ideas on all those fronts, but you get the picture. I got life in front of me. I don't know what it's going to be like to be a son-in-law when their in-laws are dying. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to have you know, a family member or a spouse member or someone on life support. There's stuff that I have not experienced in life. Some of those things you guys have gone through, it doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. We all need those models and those mentors and those people around us. That's why we're a faith community, a family. The Christian life is not just a religion you adhere to. It's not even just something that you believe that it does start there. It's not just some, someone that you surrender your life to and turning from your sin and receiving Jesus' death on the cross satisfactorily is paying for your sins. But it's a life that is lived out and is lived out in community. Not so much communal. We don't need to live in a commune, thank the Lord, Right? you got enough weirdos in your life. There are, most of them are under your own roof, so they're right around you. And you don't need, any, you don't need this one living with you either, thank the Lord. So, uh, but, but living in relationship so that that Christian life is modeled, so we follow Jesus. This, by the way, is what parents should be doing with their kids. Parents should be living in a way that says, Kid, you follow me because I'm following Jesus. Gospel parenting for parents is is modeling that life before their kids of what a Christian should look like. And at whatever level their kid is able to hold that and have those expectations for them. And the, the few things that are obvious that they are doing wrong, and they're going to because they're little sinners, not because they're kids, it's because they're sinners, you are supposed to correct them and discipline and immediately restore them with grace and love and forgiveness, and it's over with. That's what gospel parenting is about. That's what it should be. So in every area of our life, there's this whole modeling that Paul says, you imitate me. So I want to challenge you to find those people in front of you that you know that are following Jesus, and you want to know what it looks like, what your language should be, what your lifestyle should be, what it means to be a Christian worker, it means to be a Christian husband or Christian wife or Christian parent or a a friend, all of that. Look to those people around you. Follow and honor the Lord Jesus in your heart. Bless others, but live your life in a way that says, I'm going to be with those people. I'm not talking about cultish stuff. I'm not talking about conformity or uniformity. 
But I am talking about there's something that God does as he changes us on the inside. Our life, our habits, our patterns begin to change. And we need to see that from other people and allow those same things to sink into our heart and our soul. So guys, this morning, we face a million and one decisions in the things that we do. Here's three simple questions that if you will answer these three questions, you will never go astray. Number one question. These are not yes or no, which is a little bit harder to answer. Number one, how does this decision, how is what I'm doing, honor the Lord Jesus? Don't just say, does it? Because if you ask the question, does it? You'll just say, oh, sure, it does, and you'll move on. No, how does it honor the Lord Jesus? Second question, how does this action, how does what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, how does that bless other people? With an end to them either growing in their faith or discovering a relationship with Jesus, entering into that relationship for the first time. And then third question, how, who do I know around me that's living that same way, who are Christians? You see, if all of a sudden you come up with something that's brand new, can I just say you're not that smart and that creative? There may be, if you see other Christians and like nobody around you is doing anything like that, you probably need to think long and hard whether or not that's something that God really wants you to do. No, it might be. I'm not going to throw it all out there. I can't begin to think of all the scenarios that might hit but you should at least pump the brakes and be cautious. How do I see what I'm thinking or doing or saying or thinking about a decision I'm thinking about making? How do I see other godly people? Are they not doing it? If not, then you probably ought not. Three simple questions to help you and I to live out our faith practically day in and day out. Pray with me if you would as our team comes up. Father, I'm grateful for the Lord Jesus, that He saves us and He changes us. And Lord, I recognize that so often we have difficulty knowing what decisions we should make. And Lord, sometimes we get into sin. And it's helpful to see other Christians. We're sharpened when we realize that they didn't do what we're doing. Lord, I pray that we would take these principles that they would be real in our heart, that we would live in a way that honors you, and that we would live seriously looking to bless others around us. Lord, this world is, it's dog-eat-dog, dog and everybody get their own. And you've told us that we should live consciously in a way for the advantage of the other guy, whether the other guy is in our own house, whether they're, we're married to them, that we're responsible to live for their advantage, not the other way around. Help us to live that blessing day in and day out. And help us to follow those who follow you. God, I don't know what decisions need to be made, but I pray this morning that it would be clear in each person's heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.